0: Hello and welcome to the Iran Podcast. I'm your host, Negar Mourad in Washington, D.C. In this episode, you hear a conversation from September of this year when I joined a panel discussion to talk about the future of nuclear negotiations between Tehran and Washington with the new hardline administration of Ibrahim Raisi in Tehran and the administration of Joe Biden here in Washington. With the seventh round of nuclear negotiations coming up in Vienna, I want you to listen to that conversation we had in September and hear some of the points we made that are still relevant today. Here's our panel discussion hosted on TRT World.
1: The International Atomic Energy Agency is meeting in Vienna with Iran's nuclear program at the top of its agenda. And for the first time in a long time, it seemed the U.N. nuclear watchdog had some positive news to share. The IAEA reached an agreement with Iran over monitoring the country's nuclear facilities, resolving one of their more serious disputes. The government, under new president Ibrahim Raisi, agreed to allow international observers to restart surveillance cameras in their nuclear facilities. The breakthrough came on Sunday following a last-minute trip to Tehran by nuclear watchdog chief Rafael Grossi, Their agreement met the minimum requirement for talks to resume in Vienna and likely saved Iran from censure over violating its international obligations. But at Monday's IAEA board meeting, the director general admitted there's still a long way to go.
2: For the time being, we have not received the kind of uh, feedback that we need. So at this point in time, with a new government, and as you know, with a government that has quite firm views on uh, matters related to uh, the uh, nuclear program, the past, the present, and the future, I, as Director General, need to sit down with them, tell them how I see the whole picture, and uh, tell also what I expect from them, and to hear from them um, as well. So uh, I did not get any promises. One thing I got is the agreement that this uh, is something that needs to be done. And this is why I hope to be very soon in Tehran to uh, have this type of uh, conversation, which which is badly needed.
1: Nevertheless, Iran agreeing to surveillance equipment maintenance was a big step that's raised hopes for at least wider talks to revive the JCPOA. That 2015 deal introduced additional monitoring conditions on Iran's nuclear sites, but Tehran abandoned those requirements after former U.S. President Donald Trump withdrew and reimposed sanctions on Iran. Western powers have been urging Iran to return to negotiations, arguing that time to save the nuclear deal is running out, with Iran's uranium enrichment levels growing by the day. So can crisis be averted? to get a sense of what European policymakers might be thinking I'm joined from Rome by former Italian diplomat Marco Carnelos he was Italy's ambassador to Iraq a special Middle East peace envoy and has advised several Italian prime ministers on Iran he is currently the CEO of his own consulting firm MC Geopolicy Marco thanks so much for being with us is this agreeing to allow for repairs and upgrades to surveillance mechanisms real progress in your opinion?
3: Yes. At least it's a first step in order to go back to some sort of talks, I hope so. Uh, it's a, a minimal step because uh, as far as I understand, uh, the agreement is just to allow the EIA to maintenance the camera placed mm-hmm. in the Iranian uh, plans and just to, to change the, the the memory stick of the cameras that are supposed to verify what is conducted inside the the, the, the nuclear plants, but in itself is uh, at least the beginning of something and we hope in the following weeks it could be followed by more substantive talks between uh, uh, among the parties. I understand there are some problems uh, even um, Fundamental problems in how the two parties address and approach of the negotiation, uh, the Americans understand that they want to do something different from the JCPOA that was signed six years ago. Right. Iran to stick first to the talks, uh, the original one, the original deal, and then to see if it can be expanded. It's uh, the first step of a very, very long path, in my right. view.
1: Right, but at least you feel the glass is half full so to speak. Um, I know you also feel that it is Iran that suffered from double standards and uh, was really treated unfairly when it followed the rules of the JCPOA, but uh, still saw, you know, the rug pulled out from under them once Trump actually took office. Still, though, many argue that Iran needs this. It needs those sanctions lifted. So in the interest of being pragmatic, what do you think Tehran can afford to concede?
3: Well, I cannot be in the mind of the Iranian leaders uh, at the moment. Uh, I believe that the Iranian has a perception that have been uh, fooled by the, the JCPOA because uh, uh, Iran respected the agreement signed in 2015. And it's not me that is saying that. It's uh, the DNI agency that has been uh, making the many reports in which the, the, the deal was fully implemented by Iran. Uh, on the other side, the lifting of sanctions has not been complete, and from the uh, mere economic point of view, we can say that Iran so far has not benefited from the lifting of sanctions because, uh, especially, American financial sanctions have been in place all the time, preventing major all the nations in the world to carry out uh, any kind of uh, significant economic activity with Iran uh, in itself uh, has basically emptied of any meanings the lifting of sanctions because no bank in any country has been ready to support uh, any kind of trade deal between uh, Iran and any other nation because they were afraid to incur in the financial sanction by the U.S. Treasury. So between these two option. They prefer, of course, not to annoy the Americans.
1: Right. But talk about uh, the issue of time here. I mean, we've heard a number of people say that time to revive the deal is actually running out. What kind of time scale do you think we're talking about here? Or do you have endless optimism that this can be revived no matter how long it takes?
3: Well, this could be uh, a formal leverage applied by the American side when they say that time is not uh, Uh, time is quite limited. Honestly, I don't know what the Americans have in mind when they say that there's a time limit. It could be definitely uh, an attempt in order to apply pressure on Iran. As I could see in the last two, three years, uh, so far the Iranians have not been, uh, in a way, compelled to take any significant decision by this American uh, approach. Uh, The simple fact that they accepted to... Uh, allow the IAEA to come back and maintenance the, the the camera in the plans is definitely an opening. It means that Iran doesn't want to close the door for the talks. Uh, we have to see which kind of proposal and an attitude is coming also from the other side. Uh, as they usually say, it must be two to tango.
1: Absolutely. Um, so as far as what the powers that be will be discussing uh, right now with the IAEA, um, what do you think they're considering as far as the next steps should be to per- arguably convince the United States uh, to also be more pragmatic and move forward with these talks uh, as strongly as possible?
3: I mean, I don't know what exactly it has been going on behind the scene in the so-called talks behind, because I understand that Robert Malley has been visiting, uh, talking with Russian and other Europeans. Definitely something is brewing behind, but we have no clear idea. So far I have to say, unfortunately, the Biden administration has not shown all the pragmatism that was uh, attributed to it. Of course, there have been other, many other issues that have been uh, basically distracting in a way the, the, the Biden administration. I hope that now with Afghanistan behind, maybe one of the more important issues as far as the Middle East stability is concerned. there. Uh, the beginning of the talks on uni- uh, the, the nuclear deal can be uh, restarted. And I hope to see a different approach from the conceptual point of view. Okay. Uh, the They went out of the agreement. The Americans should do the first step. Okay. Uh, logic. We know that logic is not part of international relations, but this is another story.
1: Not always. That is true. Marco Carnelos. we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Uh, for being with Thank us you. on The Newsmakers. We greatly appreciate it. Well, let's broaden out the discussion now. And joining me in the studio is Borzu Daragahi. He is an international correspondent for the Independent and Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council. Mohamed Mirandi is a political analyst and professor at Tehran University. And from Washington, D.C., we have journalist Negar Mortazavi. Thanks all so much for being with me. Borzu, I'll start in the studio with you. I mean, are we in the media somewhat exaggerating uh, when we use words like breakthrough when it actually is only meeting the very minimal requirements here just to get back to the table?
4: I wouldn't call this a big breakthrough. I would call this a sort of band-aid um, that allows the uh, uh, possibility of a resumption in talks. Um, you know, look, th- this, is, this is an issue. that the, the IAEA is important in this issue. Uh, the Europeans are important in this issue. Um, the Iranians are, of course, you know, they, they, they share a big part of the blame in the escalation of this issue. But this is primarily a Washington issue and a Washington, uh, deba- another Washington debacle uh, based on wishful thinking. Uh, and the wishful thinking in this case was that, you know, we have these sanctions in place from the Trump era. Let's use them to build leverage and pressure the Iranians to either... Come up with the same better deal that Trump couldn't get, or get the Iranians to commit to follow-on negotiations to improve the JCPOA. Mm. Um, experts warned the Biden administration repeatedly at the beginning that you know time is running out. You're going to face a hardline administration with uh, whoever comes in after Rouhani. You've got a couple months. No, they listened to the blob again. They listened to the uh, Washington fixtures. The Uh, People who got us into, uh, got the Americans into Iraq, got the Americans into Afghanistan, Mm. the the debacle that just ended there that was also based on wishful thinking. And now we're, you know, uh, in the midst of another global crisis, again, based on Washington's magical thinking.
1: Right. Uh, Let me turn to Negar quickly, because you'll know as well there was a, you know, a school of thought that believed that once Biden started his term, um, the U.S. could just very simply jump back uh, into the Iran nuclear deal, and it's obviously been a lot more complicated than that. Um, But let me, I don't want to sound naive in saying this, though. Could there be a silver lining uh, that more of the American hardliners might be looking for here uh, that we might see a higher level of compromise and we could end up with what Trump was actually after uh, and having a better deal than the previous one? Or again, is that being very naive and and overly optimistic?
5: I even, I also couldn't agree more with Borzu and I heard the end of Marco's um, uh, discussion that I belong to that school of thought. I still belong to it. I think Joe Biden could have, if he wanted to, if he was willing to spend the political capital, he could have returned to the deal um, faster and easier than it is. We expected this to happen uh, towards the beginning of his administration, and as Morzu, um very well said, um, we've been mourning that the window of, of opportunity was short. This was the mm. end of Hassan Rouhani's uh, administration, a moderate administration, and Joe Biden lost that window of opportunity by delaying diplomacy for a few months, by making it complicated because he was He's been unwilling to rejoin the JCPO to basically join the same table while Iran and the Europeans are sitting at. So these negotiations have to happen indirectly in two separate hotels, which completely slows down the process even more. There was a delay, there's a slope. And then now there's a hardline administration in Tehran, which is even more reluctant and less willing to sit down with Americans to negotiate and to resolve the problem. So I hate to be pessimistic at this time, but I just see the road ahead even more complicated uh, and more difficult than what it was during that golden window of opportunity with Joe Biden and loss. And it's, I just want to add this it's unfortunate because this deal, the JCPOA, it was a historic deal. It took a lot of time and energy to be made. And it was made by the Obama Biden administration. Let's not made, uh, forget a lot of people in this current new administration were actually involved in the negotiations and in. And making that historic agreement. And now the deal existed on the paper. They just needed to be a return to an existing deal. And that's why me and many like me um, thought that it would be easier
1: and faster, but I guess it didn't happen. Okay. Mohammed, I'm going to come to you in just a second. Just, Go ahead. Let me, let me just
4: sort of say how easy it would have been for yeah. the Biden administration on January 21st. January 21st, 2021, they announced we're going to lift all of the Trump sanctions on Iran, just with one executive order. We're gonna lift as much as we can. And the Iranians, you have 30 days or a month, or whatever, two months, to go back to the, you know, uh, levels right. of enrichment and, you know, stockpiles that we had under the JCPOA. If at the end of those 60 days you don't, we have to snap back the sanctions. Yeah. But le- let's just do it like this. And the, the, the Americans could have done that, and they didn't.
1: Yeah. So, Mohammed Mirandi, that window was lost. We've established that time and time again, actually. I mean, what, what happens now? Do you see this? this latest development, uh, as uh, the Italian diplomat saw it, that we heard previously, that, okay, it's a good sign. It's a positive step forward.
6: Well, as usual, it is Iran that's uh, showing goodwill. But this is basically kicking the can down the road. From the very beginning, the Iranians were pessimistic. In fact, I had three discussions with the key American think tank close to the Democratic Party, both before and after the US election. And I said that Biden is not going to sign any presidential decree. I said it repeatedly. And uh, I don't know why the people in, the, in that think tank were insisting that it would be otherwise. Uh, it was, I think, obvious that's not how the United States functions. Just like when the Iranians and the Americans signed the nuclear agreement. The Iranians abided by their commitments in full, as the IAEA has pointed out repeatedly. And under Obama, the United States didn't abide by the deal. The Iranian central bank, till the last day of right. uh, Obama's presidency, was an, unable to link up to the international financial sector.
1: Okay, so just tell me so that right if you see this we- latest measure of goodwill on behalf of Iran as an actual step toward potentially reviving the deal itself, or is that a- going too far?
6: Well, it all really depends on the United States. Uh, The United States left the deal and tried to get a new deal. The Iranians stayed in the deal and continued to abide by its commitments, even though the Europeans and the Americans were implementing maximum pressure sanctions to to torture women and children, basically. That's how human rights works in Europe and the United States. Uh, But after a period of time when the Europeans, it was clear that they were not going to do anything about it, the Iranians began to decrease their their commitments to their obligations so we reach where we are now the iranians basically have given the united states and europeans a new opportunity but the problem is that the americans and the europeans what we saw in vienna was that they wanted to add elements to the deal. they wanted to keep certain sanctions in place and the iranians are saying no
1: yeah it's either the
6: jcpoa or no deal. Otherwise, if Iran wanted to appease the United States, they would have done it under Trump.
1: Yeah. So in in many ways, you you do feel, and some will agree with you, that we are exactly where we have been, uh, basically since the Trump administration. But uh, let me ask you then, Borsu, I mean, the bigger and more frightening question for the entire world, really, is how close Iran might be to actually having the material it needs to build a nuclear weapon.
4: I think the bigger question and more frightening question is, will, will there be a war between the U.S. and Iran over the issue? I, don't think, I think the bulk of the world is really not that terrified of the idea of one more um, you know, a dodgy country having some you know, toys at its disposal, given the state of the planet right now. I think what would be more destructive is if this led to a conflict, and obviously, It doesn't seem like it will lead to a conflict. Mm. The U.S. doesn't even have the stomach to keep a couple thousand troops in Afghanistan. It's trying to get out of Iraq. They're not going to go to What about Israel, though? I mean,
1: at least Netanyahu's out of the picture for now, but there are still some serious hardliners in Israel.
4: They'll do their sabotage operations. Mm -hmm. It's very unlikely that they would get the uh, ability to do airstrikes, and those sabotage operations will just give the Iranians an excuse to go even more clandestine Mm. and, and harden their nuclear facilities even further. And, you know, let's look at the trajectory of Iran's nuclear program and its technology capabilities over the last 20 years, despite the sanctions. And it's just not going to work. What you need right now is some creative diplomacy on the part of the U.S., a gesture, something that surprises the Iranians, something that shows that there is some goodwill, that it's not under the cynical influence of uh, a bunch of, uh, uh, like, the the, the dregs of the Washington think tank Mm. world. And some kind of uh, uh, gesture of showing that they're actually interested in diplomacy instead of tra- keeping on with the same tired uh, yeah. slogans, uh, nothing is off the table, you know, we, are gonna, we will, Iran will not have nuclear, this kind of talk is okay. just tiresome.
1: But still, I mean, uh, Negar, let me ask you, I mean, there is a mission on this planet among uh, world powers to stop the proliferation of nuclear weapons. I mean, that's what this, this nuclear deal is technically all about. Whether or not you think it should be genuinely a concern of the global public is, is another question. So now I'm asking if, if you, how much you think Iran has actually been able to build its capacity and its knowledge, its knowledge since the United States pulled out of the deal, uh, knowledge that really can't be reduced once it is there, uh, that would give the global community concern for the proliferation of nuclear weapons on Iran's territory.
5: There has been a movement for non proliferation by powerful countries who do have nuclear weapons, one of which has used that nuclear weapon and uh, also the big elephant in the region in the Middle East is u s ally Israel, who has this nuclear power and is not even uh, part of the NPT but to your question i don 't think the calculation in Tehran from what we 've been observing in the past in recent years at least The calculation is not that they want to obtain a nuclear weapon, um, not even maybe get close to actual materials, but they want to acquire the know-how. Because it's the knowledge that you can't bomb. It's the knowledge that you can't reverse. And it's this passing of the knowledge that will put the... Iran's foes and Western powers on the edge, but it would still be short of Iran actually getting into a nuclear weapons program. Now, that calculation might change at any time. Um, There has been uh, attempts in the past, but but, um, I think the calculation is that this is something that they're willing to risk. It is a risk uh, putting the others on the edge, but it's also something that's uh, short of that kind of a uh, big escalation and conflict that Boerzu was also warning about. I'm worried about more military escalation, not a full-on war maybe, at least not under this uh, Biden administration, but I am worried about uh, military conflicts, maybe little conflicts here and there in the region, replacing diplomacy. Because if you don't have a sustained and constructive and successful diplomacy, then conflict is going to slowly replace it. Israelis are going to continue sabotage, assassinations, okay. everything they've been doing, and it's just not going to be um, helpful for, for the region, not just Iran and the U.S., but also for the entire region. It's going to
1: be there. Right. Regionally, it is interesting to note, though, and Mohammed, I'd love you to address this, please, because the Iraqi prime minister became the first foreign leader to actually meet uh, with Ibrahim Raisi in his role as president. Uh, And they really spoke about kind of cooperating with neighbors and more regionally than rather Iran having to cooperate uh, with Europeans and Americans in order to to move forward and and better his country. Um, I want to hear quickly, we can play what what Ibrahim Raisi had to say uh, in that meeting with the Iraqi Prime Minister. Despite what our enemies want, these relations can expand in different fields. And the expansion of these relations is not limited to these two countries. The roles our two countries play in the region and the world and in international relations can
3: be very effective.
1: So, Mohammed Morandi, interesting to see there the apparent bond that seems to be in the works uh, with that meeting between uh, Iraq's leaders and the new Iranian regime. I mean, is that more where Iran might be looking to if, if all else fails? especially with the JCPOA, will we see Ibrahim Raisi really looking toward, the, toward those regional uh, bonds, more with it building relationships with its neighbors, trade, etc., to build a stronger Iran?
6: Well, the Raisi administration is already tilting away from Europe and moving towards a more Asian-oriented foreign policy and also a more broad look at the Global South, which would include neighbors and regional countries. And the irony, of course, in my opinion, is that the United States actually has hurt itself by sanctioning Iran in the sense that its occupation in Iraq and Afghanistan were both partially failures because they tried to dictate terms to these countries. So when the people of Afghanistan cannot do trade properly with Iran or the people in Iraq who overwhelmingly live right alongside the iranian border most iraqis live from north to south very close to the iranian border when they're not allowed to trade properly then the economies of these two countries can't be uh, productive the countries can't develop properly and thus for example in afghanistan that contributed to the increased animosity towards the u.s occupation and the same is true in iraq so while the Americans are trying to harm ordinary Iranians, basically they're harming their own position in Iraq and, of course, in what we saw in Afghanistan.
1: Okay, so go ahead. Quick final words.
4: I, yeah, I just wanted to say that you know the, the, the maximum pressure completely failed. Uh, the, this these sanctions that the U.S. has imposed on Iran um, have not collapsed the Iranian economy. It appears that the Iranian economy has somewhat turned a corner. Um, they, they're not reeling. It's not in a free fall. Um, Yeah, the economy is not doing great, but a a year and a half into a global pandemic, whose economy is doing great? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the, the sanctions that the U.S. imposes that they think of as leverage are are not accomplishing anything. They're they're just poison for the diplomatic environment. Meanwhile, they're not really having that much of an effect anymore on Iran. The worst of it is over for Iran.
1: So, So, Negar, very quickly, is that to say that if the JCPOA is not revived... Iran can continue as is.
5: Sanctions have been successful in putting pressure on Iranian people and the public, vulnerable populations, middle classes, working classes. But as far as policy change, nothing. It has achieved none of the policy goals of the Trump administration or this new administration who's trying to use sanctions as levers. So I agree, it's been a failed policy. And under the Obama administration, they concluded that diplomacy is the way to go. I'm just surprised part of the same team now with the Biden administration is trying to um, change course and not okay. go down the diplomatic path. So I think, yes, this will just continue. I just hope it doesn't escalate into something more
1: dangerous. Right, Negar, I will have to let you have the last word because we are unfortunately completely out of time for this edition of the Newsmakers. I'd like to thank all three of my panelists so much for being with us. Our viewers, of course, for being with us as well. Remember to follow us on Twitter, at the underscore newsmakers, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm Andrea Sankey. We'll see you next time. That was a
0: panel discussion hosted on TRT World Television. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Iran Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Twitter, at Iran Podcast. You can also support our work by going to anchor.fm slash the Iran podcast. With your support, we can continue our work and be editorially independent. Until next time, goodbye and khoda hafiz.